Would you like to discover something new that can enhance your lifestyle? If so, then strap yourself in for the next half hour or so and discover some helpful dialogue relating to an interesting health and happiness topic. Your feedback following the recording will be greatly appreciated and can be shared via email to petra at threequartertime.com.au. Every week, there'll be a new addition to the podcast collection and a PDF summary about each topic can be requested with your feedback. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen, and it is with my great pleasure that I introduce Petra Taylor-Smith and this week's Health and Happiness podcast. Hi, and welcome to Make It Count. Hopefully you've been able to listen to any or all of my solo podcasts to date, but here's the new series, which will still offer over 50s some useful food for thought, but via interviews with key people who have a background related to the topic, which this week is love and friendship. Today, I'm fortunate to be sharing the podcast with a good friend of mine whose name is Linda Thompson. Linda lives in Tawantan, but is originally from New Zealand. We met just over two years ago and have had many fun and interesting times together. Linda has worked in many different fields, including social work, relationship and sex therapy, and has an affinity with animals and her natural world. I asked Linda would she be willing to have an interview about friendship and love as her experiences are different to mine and we might be able to share some similarities and differences about this topic with you. So welcome, Linda. Thank you very much. Honoured to be here. Great that you could be here. And if you're happy, we'll get straight into it, Linda, with the first question, which I was going to ask you, what impact do you think that having friends and or a partner has on an individual's health and happiness? Uh, I think it's crucial. I, I, I think we're going through an epidemic of loneliness because if you think about how when we grew up, we all knew our neighbours and we were a lot more neighbourly and a lot more kind of communally based. And now kind of people live quite far away from their families often and quite far away. So I, I think it's really crucial that people either, in some ways I would probably quite like to separate it out because they are kind of a bit different just friends and partners. They're kind of quite different relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, would you like to address that in this question or do you want us to? Yeah, do no, that's fine. I'm happy to address it now. But, but also, the, I guess the other thing is having family that are friendly. You know, unfortunately, that's not everyone's experiences that their, their family is someone they would associate with or see as a safe place or take comfort with. So, yeah, so there's families of all different types which will bear a great you know deal onto what type of a relationship you have with them yeah absolutely and you know it's often through no fault of their own that people are estranged from their families no precisely and so yeah there's there's lots of factors that are at play aren't there when you're thinking about say a friendship with your family then with friends that I suppose a lot of people have established in their earlier years, like um, through school or, or work um, or even children in my case. So then you get to this stage of life and it's a whole interesting ball game where you're going to meet people and how you're going to develop a depth to your friendship. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes like when the questions came through today, I gave a bit of thought about that. 
Because it's also having those skills, you know, those skills that enable you to be able to make friendships easily. And, you know, and sometimes if I, if I reflect on my own life, like I, I am someone that is lucky enough to make friends quite easily. But then I also come from a very social family. Like I, I, I come from a family of a lot of cousins where there's there's no dramas or any major conflict so I'm probably very lucky to have had that base. Do you think that um it's largely based on your personality? Um absolutely it's been based on personality but then if I think about my family of origin and all, all of my cousins um we all have similar like we don't catch up regularly like you know and obviously I live in another country but we don't catch up regularly but everyone's kind of got the same values on how you treat each other yes yes and so you found that probably throughout your 50s or whatever that there's been people who share those types of values and that makes it easier for you to connect yeah I, I think um I think I think it's a skill being able to to maintain long term friendships because it's not always easy, you know. It, as we all know, sometimes your your friends annoy you and you annoy your friends, and mm. so there's always that kind of forgiveness and adjusting and. Yeah, there's so many elements to it. Actually, that was what I was going to um, bring up about you and I have both had. Um, some good long-term friends and how there's lots of benefits to having people in your life over the course of many years. Um, in fact, in a few weeks' time for me, I'm having the pleasure of all my school friends. Uh, last night I was online working out how many. At this stage there's about 30 and wow. we're all meeting here for the weekend, which is 35 years of sustained friendship. Just the Facebook um, and Instagram profiles allow people to keep in touch with each other. Yeah, it's got a lot. It's got a lot easier. Has, hasn't it? So that's been wonderful, and that's just you know some of the advantages of like you were saying, having shared values. So we all went to the same school, so we all kind of got raised in a, a fairly similar way for five years. Um, many of us have spread apart and done some very very different things. Uh, and so I think, you know, like that's a third of the total cohort that are still keeping in touch with one another, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, that, that's really amazing. Yeah. So um, we are good friends, you and I. And even though we've only known each other for just over, I suppose, two years, mm. we both benefit from this relationship because we share common interests. Um, we both, you know, have our own businesses. We commit to regular communication. So we're either on the phone chatting or texting or catching up in person. Um, our value systems align, as we were just saying, and there is a mutual benefit to our connection. We really enjoy each other's company. Yeah, and, and I suppose that's it, fun. Yeah, fun is a big element, isn't and that, it? That's the beauty. You know, we can't pick our relatives. We're lucky. We're lucky if we are friends of our relatives. But you know, fr friends provide a lot of fun. So, what qualities do you think allow people to make good friendships from their fifties? Is there any, like you were saying, skills? So, this the skills are things like. I I I and I think this comes from my counselling. So so this is actually where um, friendships cross over to relationships and, and is um you know personal interpersonal relationships like partners is um the relationship with yourself. Mm. Like you, you've got to have a, a good fundamental relationship with yourself, which which for me I've got to admit has been a, a lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. you, know, you and I were never in the generation where anyone ever talked about the 
relationship with self? Mm-mm. No, not really. And, and but I'm sure you parent very different. Where where your children are, are kind of more aware of that, but we weren't. Absolutely, they're very very open. Um, not that I didn't like the idea of it with my parents, but there were just a lot of unsaid things because it seemed like I was practicing what I was seeing, which was everyone keeping lots of intimate things very very private. And um, yeah, nowadays, I think my my kids who are, are 15 and 18 greatly benefit from those dinner table conversations where we actually touch on what is in a good relationship. And even though they go, oh, you know, you guys are so lovey-dovey or flirty, we want to model what is uh, a, yeah. a loving friendship and, and, you know, so that they know it exists. And, and what I'll often tell my clients in counselling too, you know, it was hard for our parents and their generation, you know, they deal, dealt with war. They dealt with a great depression. You know, they, they didn't have time to kind of, in some ways, examine their relationship with self. So, you know, they, often they were in survival. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and often there was a lot of shame and secrecy about, about things that we these days would just go, oh, well, that happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the, uh, the opportunities to know ourselves is a big one, you believe? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I do believe that's the foundation, particularly when it comes to romantic relationships, but can also play up in friendships. That's really good to hear because, yeah, that's something like they always said to us, oh, you've got to love yourself first. But it didn't seem like you would do much about that. You know, yeah, sure, I love myself, but I'm not going to look in the mirror and say, I love you and, and talk like that. But that's what they encourage people to do these days. But, but I think I think self-love is a bit different. I, I suppose what I'm more here to and what I find beneficial for people is self-compassion. Uh-huh. The the ability to be able to kind of look over your life and go, oh, you know what? There were times when that was hard. Mm. And, and, and you kind of came through and... It's a, a really valued quality in people, but not everybody has it. I know on my last podcast, which was all about um, paying it forward or giving back, and it referred to how it comes from compassion and that, unfortunately, not everybody is wired with that, but it's hard to believe that um, it's not something that everyone practices. But, but what I've found is often you will meet people that have a lot of compassion for others, like you, you can get people that are incredibly giving and but they're really hard on themselves. Mm. So it's important that, yeah, you're, you're soft on yourself as well as being able to be soft with others and let them in. And the other thing I've noticed on, on top of that is the people that actually are able to practice self-compassion are a lot more forgiving of other people. Yeah. Yeah, and it's important in a long-term friendship or relationship. Oh, absolutely, you know, um, long-term friendships. I mean, you know, most of my friends at some stage, I mean, and they would say the same about me. I mean, there have been times when it's been annoying or mm. it's been hard to navigate something or, you know, when you're on a big group holiday or something like that where it's hard to yeah, kind of navigate things that, that are coming up. Yeah. And I think one of the hard things about friendships because with your partner, you would kind of take them aside and go, oh, you're really bugging me today. Can you? Like, can we talk this through? Yeah. But with friendships, it, it's kind of more of a delicate landscape in some ways. But I, I think 
long-term, we, we've got to have a bit more tolerance for conflict does happen in any kind of long-term relationship, and that's okay. Yeah, good good point. Now, I'm just looking at the time. We'll try and keep our um, questions for just the next 10 or so minutes, if that's all right with you. So that was really helpful. Thank you for sharing. So as a social worker and counsellor, you have a unique set of skills and experiences that allow you to help people in the area of improving their relationships. So in these modern times, have you discovered differences in how people relate to each other? And is there any difference between how a younger or older person perceives a relationship, whether that be friendship or romance? Um, one of the sad trends that I've started to see that I that, that I'm kind of um, all over people in therapy is um, it, it can become by the time people sort of come and see me for relationship counselling is a kind of very much about me, what's in this for me, where I'm kind of like, well, what's in it for both of you, <laughs> and how's it mutually beneficial for both of you, and yeah. yeah, there's mutual benefit. Like I was saying that about our friendship, but it's not that you're you're in it because of what you can get, but it's no. shared. Like, you know, it's it shouldn't be a one-way street, should it? No, and I and I think unfortunately in modern relationships, when people start to get stressed, they kind of go, Well, what's in this for me? And kind of forget about their partners and and feel that they can move on to better quite quickly and yeah, that's not, necessarily, yeah. that's not necessarily true. No, you've got to work on yourself to be um, a good, you know, part of a couple. Can't can't see um, anybody benefiting from being totally self-absorbed, that's for sure. Um, so now we've touched on friendship and you've provided some great insight into what constitutes good friendship. And so now the idea of, of love and that deeper level with romance and so forth, um, for many who are single in their 50s, would you describe what you like or don't like about being um, a single? Do you think that it's harder to find the right one for you as a mature person? Um, yeah, I, I definitely do. I mean, I even though I know all the science behind relationships and what makes good relationships, I, I really actually do believe there's a bit of luck involved mm -hmm. about when you're really who you happen to meet on, you know, like, you know, modern dating is often the internet and it's just a medium. But, you know, I, I have friends that have been on there for many years and they've, they've kind of never met the person and and particularly one of my friends like she literally goes on three or four dates every single weekend and has done for 10 years and you know and I know her as a friend and I'll be like well she's actually another therapist I'll be um like there's nothing wrong with this person literally nothing wrong with this person uh, they just can't meet their clique and are you thinking that people get maybe a little bit more set in our ways, that it is hard? Oh, yeah, well, I, but not only that, I, I was thinking about my own life. Like um, I just decided last weekend not to kind of go out at all. Mm. So, so, you know, if you do that for 25 weeks out of 52, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a lot of time you're not actually out there. And, and if you think about it, in your 20s, you're – probably out there three or four times a week. <laughs> yeah, with great opportunity. Yeah, so, so the numbers actually come down. I know a lot of people like like you and your beautiful partner, Paul, have had a lot of success online. But I also know a lot of people, even in my age group, that have met people just naturally. Yeah. 
I think naturally is definitely the best because you'll often find that you either meet through mutual friends or mutual interests. Um, as you were saying, like Paul and I met online and within a week, because we were both living on the Sunshine Coast, it became feasible to actually meet face-to-face. -face. Yeah. And that's what I would strongly encourage because online's great for having those conversations um, to know if you can actually have, you know, mutual interests. But then what is beneficial to meeting? Is you know, I, that's one bit of advice I would do. And that's one, something I would do in my own life when I am online dating. I'm not currently on any sites um is that you meet really quickly mm. because the other thing that people don't realize is unfortunately there can be a lot of married people on those sites too that are just kind of doing the wrong thing and yeah exactly so you, you want to build meet... up an emotional connection to them and then suddenly they're gone well they're probably suddenly gone because they just got caught yeah <laughs> yeah so then you can develop something deeper. Um, obviously, if you're going to have an intimate relationship, you're going to have to do it, you know, most likely face-to-face. -face, but Well, uh, no, that you just read so much about that person, don't you? And I mean, yeah, for, for me, it will be important. And I suppose this, you know, this again puts your numbers down. It would be important for me to be someone quite local because I do spend a lot of my weekends horse riding and stuff like that, so I don't want to be commuting. No, exactly. It doesn't does mm. add a lot of new obstacles but now yeah. we're, we're having listeners as well who are in established relationships yeah. so I mean you meet people like that too with the type of work you do so are there things that crop up quite a, a, on a regular basis that you would say if you're a mature person in a loving relationship but you want to keep that loving relationship strong and and you know full of um there's um two things that i see relationships long-term long relationships and i mean this these can be people that have been married for many years but not really spend a lot of time in each other's world you know mm. they're caught up in practicalities and raising children and, and actually really aren't kind of being partners to each other um one thing is the conversations we don't have so mm. all of those gee, I, sh I should have said, oh, no, look, I'm just going to let it go and I'm not going to say anything. And, well, when that builds up over a lot of years, pe people suddenly walk out the door and the other person feels quite blindsided. Yeah, because those conversations were thought but not had and therefore might have created gaps where you could have... Yeah you know close or, or you get caught up in your own thoughts your own thoughts about the relationship and how it should be or couldn't be or what that other person's injustice they're doing to you or not doing to you and, and you're not really finding out yeah so that whole thing that my parents and other parents have shared with me that you know you don't go to bed on a quarrel or whatever that you try and resolve things talking things through on a regular basis even though some of the content can sometimes be a bit challenging yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think the other thing that kind of pulls people apart is their conflict styles. But the, the good news about that is, you know, you, you, your conflict style is something you can change, but people don't think they can sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, the, the partner that walks out when, you, when you're trying to talk to them and goes for a drive and never comes back and yes yeah, the person that yells at the top of their voices you know like they they just have a long-term impact on people yeah exactly because that's right we often um get to a point where we think oh we're not going to be able to change but you're giving us hope that there is potential absolutely absolutely our conflict styles if you think about it um most of us get the way we manage conflict from when we were kids yeah 
Yeah, it's all too easy, isn't it, to fall into patterns that are lifelong. Yeah. Well, they're, they're really great points. So I am just going to go back over and just touch on um, a little bit of what we've discussed because we're getting near the end. Yeah. So you've got, given us great insight into what type of um, skills might be beneficial and yeah. how, you know, it comes from our past um, and sharing common values when it comes to making friendships and, and working on them, you know, that it's not perfect all the time same as in a, a romantic relationship there are things we can do have those conversations talk about what we do and don't like well um, I mean, and I just think it's forgiveness too right and, and it's really trying to put yourself you know the old thing about put yourself in the other person's shoe you know how yeah. how and be really mindful about how is the other person actually experiment, experimenting me you know how, how do they experiment me I love it see me and be open to people like yourself who are in that game of dealing with um, relationships. And that's why I chose you because I know you've got so much insight. So thank you for sharing um, personally and professionally, Linda. It's been great hearing what you think about this wonderful yet challenging topic. I personally am very grateful to you for taking the time to talk about friendship and love and helping others to feel positive and hopefully inspired to develop new or existing friendships and deeper relationships at any age. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Yeah, I I am a big believer in love, and uh, and I love the energy of love, and I, I really do think that. Petra's podcasts are intended for all over fifties seeking health and happiness. Her website www.threequartertime.com.au is where you'll find out all about her events and services. You might also like to investigate her Facebook or Instagram presence. And if you're interested in RSVPing to an event, you'll find links to the Meetup online site where you can book and pay. Petra is from Noosa on the Sunshine Coast of Queensland and her details are available via her website or at LinkedIn. Please share her ideas with your connections and thank you for listening. Have a great day. Hi, would you like to hear 10 fun or fascinating facts about sex. Here they come. 1. Menopausal women can still have a good sex life. Being creative is the secret, such as trying natural lubricants such as sweet almond oil or water-based vaginal lubricants or a variety of different sexual activities. 2. Masturbation is a good thing for older singles and couples. It increases sexual pleasure and helps a woman with vaginal moisture and elasticity, and it helps men to maintain erectile response. 3. Being well hydrated leads to better orgasms, because the body is mostly fluid, being hydrated enhances people's ability to achieve orgasm. 4. Women get erections too. The clitoris is made up of the same spongy erectile tissue as the penis, which expands and engorges with blood when aroused. 5. Men can orgasm without ejaculating. Orgasm comes slightly before ejaculation and some men can differentiate between the two and have orgasms without ejaculating. 6. Vibrators were first developed as a medical device. The vibrator was invented in 1869. Whenever a woman reported being mentally or emotionally upset, the cure was using a large steam-powered massager to massage the genitals with the goal of orgasm.
7. Older people have some of the best sex. Having a lot of sexual experience can mean your sex life is more fulfilling than younger people. Following a healthy lifestyle by exercising, eating right and managing stress are the key to a healthy bedroom. 8. The penis and vagina account for less than 10% of erogenous zones. The entire body is capable of arousal, pleasure and stimulation, so spend time getting the whole body aroused by stimulating everywhere including the limbs and torso for more satisfying sex in long-term relationships. 9. Sex is powerful medicine. It fights flu and cold, burns calories, regulates hormone levels, cures headaches and reduces pain, boosts self-esteem and improves mood, improves sense of smell and increases bladder control. Finally, 10. Sex helps you live longer. Studies have shown that having a happy, healthy, regular sex life improves your heart health, boosts your immunity and lowers your risk of some cancers, for example, prostate and breast. I hope you enjoyed listening to the 10 fascinating and fun facts about sex.